New sermon series today. Let me tell you a, a, a little story to get you thinking about it. Have you ever noticed how you can generally tell which couples in a restaurant are on a first date? Do you ever play this game? Like, I wonder who's on a first date. I mean, it, it seems like their backs are a little too straight. Their smiles are a little too earnest. Uh, their laughs at the other's jokes are a little too enthusiastic, uh, and yet sometimes you can see underneath the table their, their hands are filled with anxiety, right? Trying. Now, why is that? Because everybody wants to make a good first impression. Uh, we want others to see the best of me and not necessarily the real me. And because of that, uh, sometimes not even, not only on dates, but sometimes in life, we have a tendency to live in, in first date mode, right? Uh, we, we parade our strengths in front of one another and we hide our weaknesses in the attic uh, of our souls. And yet, maybe that's why I'm, I'm so drawn to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Because in this letter, uh, as we study it, I think we're gonna see that if we allow God the privilege, God will show up in the midst of all different kinds of weakness and struggle, and God will show his grace, and God will show his power in the midst of our weakness. And, and, and so what this is gonna mean for us as we walk through this series, uh, and as we studied in our, in our grow groups as well, is that if we really get this, then instead of hiding our weaknesses from one another, we'll share our weaknesses with one another, and we'll pray for God's power to be made evident in the midst of our weakness. And so today, uh, I want us to talk about a weakness called suffering. And I want us to see how God uses suffering to do something powerful in us and, and through us. And so I'd love for you to have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, Paul, as he, as he tends to do, he, he offers a greeting in the first couple of verses of his letter. And then in the, the, the third verse, he launches into a song of praise. Uh, and this particular song of praise is about what God does in the midst of the painful moments of our lives. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, hear the word of the Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comforts abound through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you also share in our comfort. God bless the reading of his word. My family likes to remember a time when uh, some friends of ours in this church gave us a detachable luggage carrier to go on the top of our minivan. It was a great gift for a young family of six traveling across state, but unfortunately we weren't always so skilled in using this gift, and that became very clear one time when we decided to stop off in San Antonio to visit the Alamo. We found a, an underground parking garage at a place I think called River Center Mall, and as I drove into the parking garage, I kept hearing these little pinging sounds. And it turns out the pinging sounds was the, the pipe work 
hitting against the bungee cord that was securing the luggage carrier. And so, uh, unfortunately, uh, it didn't fit, in other words. And so, we had to somehow get the luggage carrier off the top of the van and unload it and then put all the luggage in the van. And then Jalita drove the van out of the parking garage and I carried the luggage rack all by myself. Not embarrassing at all. I don't know why you would say that. Uh, uh, Not embarrassing, but let's just say that when our family says, remember the Alamo, it has a totally different meaning. (laughs) Well, it was a painful experience at the time. I'm sure if you had seen the look on my face walking out of that parking garage, uh, there would not have been a smile anywhere uh, close to my face. But but just like you just did, now, uh, years later, we, we laugh about it. But let's be honest, there's, there are lots of different kinds of suffering uh, from our past that really is no laughing matter. Still, no matter how long ago it was, we don't laugh about it. There are stories of suffering that we've experienced that are so painful that some of us have never even uttered it out loud to another person. It still hurts, and, and we would do anything to undo it if we could. Uh, in fact, maybe right now, you're in the midst of, of a struggle, you're in the midst of suffering, and you just don't know how you are going to make it. Well, we can suffer in so many ways. We can suffer physically. We can suffer uh, relationally in broken relationships. We can suffer financially, the terror of how we're going to pay our bills or the terror of foreclosure. We can, we can suffer in so many different ways emotionally, discouragement, uh, anxiety, depression, You know, there's so many different kinds of suffering that we can experience that are no laughing matter whatsoever. You know, on my computer keyboard, uh, I have a Mac. There's this magical little uh, progression of keys that I can press. My fingers know it better than my mind, I think, but I think it's Command-Z. And uh, I think it's Control-Z maybe on Windows. And it's, it's magic because whatever silly thing I've typed, I can just hit that several times and it'll just erase it. But unfortunately, there's no command Z, there's no control Z keystroke for suffering in our lives. And yet, one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the sermon series is because in the weakness of suffering, Paul tells us that God shows up in powerful ways. Now, we're just kind of airdropping into 2 Corinthians, and there's a whole story behind it. And it's, to be honest with you, it's not all that easy to grasp. And, uh, uh, but I don't just want to launch into the words without giving you a little sense of the context. And so let me, let me see if I can just give you a little uh, FAQ on, on 2 Corinthians. You know, the, the, the scholar N.T. Wright, uh, Tom Wright, some of you have read his books before. He, he says that there are some letters of Paul that you can almost capture the mood of the letter in one word. Like, for example, Galatians, angry. Paul is mad, right? Who has bewitched you and sold you a false gospel? Uh, Philippians, uh, my, my favorite letter of Paul's. I know it's most people, many people's favorite. The, the key word is joy. That, that word joy and rejoice in the Lord always, I say again, rejoice. Well, well N.T. Wright says if you were to, to find one word for 2 Corinthians, it would be the word sorrowful. Sorrow. 
You know, sometimes uh, NFL football players a day after a game kind of spend the day in, the, in a whirlpool. They're, they're so hurting and bruised up that they, they just need to spend a, a day or two trying to, trying to recuperate. And I almost feel like this letter that Paul writes to, to, in 2 Corinthians is written from a whirlpool. Paul, in other words, uh, is struggling uh, in pain. Well, why? why? Why sorrow? Why pain? Well, once again, quick summary. Uh, Corinth is that kind of church that, uh, uh, speaking as a former seminary student, a lot of seminary students are excited to go to until they get there. You know, oh, we're going to Corinth, and that church, man, that's, uh, they've got so many resources, and, and those people are so cultured, and they're really up on the latest preacher, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And then you get there, and you find, oh, well, these people are fighting with one another, and they've got a lot of resources, but they're stingy, and there's so much dysfunction in the church. And Paul writes this letter, 1 Corinthians, and a lot of that dysfunction is, is disclosed. And then uh, after uh, Paul leaves Corinth and after he writes 1 Corinthians and sends that to them, uh, these false apostles, these false teachers come in. Not only do they spread false teaching, but they speak really badly about Paul. And, and so he makes an emergency visit to try to fix things, but uh, it didn't go so well. Then he writes another letter, and we don't have that letter, but he refers to it. Uh, and that letter was hard, uh, but it, it accomplished some good. But Paul felt really bad about it, and, and he, he wanted to be with the Corinthians. And, and so he writes this letter that is our uh, letter of 2 Corinthians in our Bible. Uh, and, uh, okay, whew, you got it? All right, just take a deep breath, all right? We walked through a lot right there. So, so let's just say there's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of pain, um, but what if, as Paul will tell us, there's power in the midst of suffering? Believe it or not, the first sentence of our passage, it's two verses, it's one sentence, has the word praise and trouble in the same sentence. Did you, did you know you could put both of those words in one sentence, in one prayer thought unit? Paul does. And so the question that I want to try to answer is, is what good news resides in the bad news of suffering. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what is the good news in the midst of the bad news? I want to be careful how I say this. Um, the, the, we don't rejoice in, in suffering per se. Uh, we don't, you know, like if I say, hey, how you doing? You go, oh, man, I had a flat tire on the way to work. I, I don't go, oh, goody. You know, I don't do that. We don't, we don't rejoice in flat tires. We don't uh, rejoice in illness. But we rejoice in God in the midst of the bad news. And so, and so what is good news? I, I want to talk about two themes, two themes. And if you're thinking, don't you usually talk about three? Well, the second part has two pieces, and so I actually get to the three. But anyway, okay, first theme is Jesus is a doctor. Isn't that good news? Jesus is a doctor. You ever thought about that? And we know that Jesus uh, was an, uh, you know, had amazing Yelp reviews as a physical doctor because he physically healed so many people, but, but Jesus is also a soul doctor, if you will. Uh, there was a time in the Gospel of Mark, the second chapter, where some of Jesus' religious critics were complaining that he was hanging out with people whose souls were sick, and, and it was a reckless behavior on Jesus' part, they were sure, and that they, they were going to get sick themselves, and, uh, or Jesus was going to get sick hang, hanging out with these immoral people. And Jesus responded in Mark 2.17, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
It's almost like he's saying, that's why I've come. I'm a doctor. Isaiah and Isaiah 53 prophesied the coming of Christ, and he said, by his wounds we are healed. Jesus is a doctor. Christians often refer to Jesus as the great physician. And Paul will say of Jesus what he says of God the Father, what he says of the Holy Spirit, is that the, the triune God is the source of the healing that our souls crave. Now, when our bodies are sick, there are places we go to, to find help, right? We go to a doctor's office, we go to an emergency room. But where do you go when your soul is bruised? Where do you go when your heart is in a sling? Well, Paul, who speaks from experience, offers a referral to us. And, and, and I want you to hear this in, in verse 3. Uh, Paul says, we go straight to God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. This word comfort, um, the, 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 the Greek word in the original passage occurs 10 times in five verses. You think that's a pretty important theme in our passage? 10 different times. Now, uh, comfort is, is, is obviously a good translation, but I, I think we might hear this word and we might think of something a little different than what Paul means. Like sometimes when we hear the word comfort, we think of someone kind of patting you and saying they're there, right? Uh, but, but the word that Paul uses, the, the, the Greek word is, is, is parakalesis, parakalesis. Why am I saying that? Well, well, kaleo is to call out to somebody, and para is, is alongside or beside. And so parakalesis is to call alongside, to call to your side. So example, if you saw somebody uh, on a hike and they were hurting and they were obviously lost and they didn't know what you would, what, what, uh, they were going to do, if you wanted to comfort them, parakalesis, you wouldn't just say, oh, they're there. I'm sure you'll find your way. You know? No, you would kind of call them to your side. Let's get you bandaged up. Let's get you reoriented. Let's find your path. Let's get you what you need to get you on the path again. Right? When, when, when Paul says that God is a God of all comfort, that's what he means. It's that kind of deep encouragement, that planting courage and wisdom in us for us to be able to keep moving in the midst of suffering. In fact, I think it's, it's fascinating. When Jesus was about to leave the earth in John chapter 14, uh, he, you know, his disciples, I'm sure, were, were panicking, like, how are we going to live without the bodily presence of Jesus beside us? But Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, or maybe your translation says comforter, but the Greek word is paraclete, same word. He will give you an encourager. He will give you the Holy Spirit to help you, and get this, and be with you forever. We, through the Holy Spirit, have access to that comfort, that encouragement, that paraclesis from God. The Spirit is the paraclete. The Spirit calls us to his side, fills us with his healing words and strength and power so that we can, as one commentator says, have fresh courage, new hope, new direction, new insights, which change the way we face the current moment, change the way we face the future. Have you ever thought about this? If you are a Christian, you have access right now to the deep encouragement and comfort and strength and power of the Holy Spirit right now. Isn't that amazing news? Jesus isn't just kind of bringing us a blankie <laughs> when we struggle. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to, to plant courage 
and, and, and heavenly medicine in our hearts. Some of you um, who've known me for a while uh, know that I have a, a terrible sense of direction, and um, I, the iPhone maps has changed my life. Uh, but uh, because I'm old, I've lived most of my life without it, and uh, for many years, this terrible sense of direction would plague me uh, when I was in Atlanta. Anybody ever been to Atlanta before, driven in Atlanta? Uh, um, I was there for six years, and uh, Atlanta, the urban planners uh, of, of Atlanta were all intoxicated when they laid out the city, and every street seemingly has the word peach or peach tree in it, and, uh, and they all curve around. They're not like, a, you know, Dallas, a lot of north, south, east, west roads, but, um, and so I would be trying to make hospital visits, you know, all over the metropolitan area of Atlanta, and I, you know, the problem with me is, I mean, like, if I'm starting off, and I know I'm starting off north, and if the street goes like this, I still think I'm going north, because I'm just still, you know, I'm just still facing the steering wheel, and so I would get so lost, and, uh, and I wasted so much of the resources the congregants invested in me, just driving aimlessly, but I tell you, there was always something that would cheer me up, and it was this, this photo right here. Whenever I saw this, I was like, yes, and I would follow that blue and white H wherever it told me to go, and whenever I saw that sign, it was like, oh, all right, finally, uh, you know, and if it said exit, I would definitely exit. Friends, I don't know what's got you in the whirlpool today. I don't know what struggles and, and soul bruises you're dealing with. But I know Jesus is the great physician. Follow the blue H, right? Follow the, the exit sign. Uh, I love the promise of what God, the Spirit, and Dr. Jesus do for us in verse 4. It says that, 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 that Jesus comforts us, God comforts us in all our troubles, Except what? Nothing, right? It's all. It says all, right? God, whatever trouble you're going through, God comforts us. I almost feel like Paul's saying to the church at Corinth, hey, look, we've been through a lot together, a lot of painful stuff, painful for you, painful for me, no fun for any of us, but if we will allow God, he will pour the healing presence of his comforter, his advocate, his paraclete, his Holy Spirit into our wounds. And so the question for us is, do we trust this? Do we trust this promise? Do we trust that the Spirit of Jesus sits with us in our struggles? Do we trust that Jesus can share a, a larger perspective when we're trapped in our pain? Do we trust that Jesus can bring healing, that Jesus can fuel us with joy? In fact, I wonder, like as you think about what, what hurts the most for you today, I, I wonder, could you say, Lord, I just want to acknowledge this pain in your presence. I don't know if I've done that, but I want to acknowledge this pain right now. I want to ask you to bear up, help me bear up in the midst of my wounds. I want to ask you to increase my faith that you are the great physician and that you will bring about healing for my soul. Good news part A is that Jesus is a doctor. Good news part B is that Jesus runs a clinic. Jesus runs a clinic. Not only is Jesus a doctor, but Jesus has designed the church. He's designed us to be a clinic. Jesus wants to channel his healing not only in you but through you. In fact, 
Uh, if somebody were to ask you, uh, what was the sermon about? Just say that. Jesus wants to channel his healing, not only in us, but through us. In us, through us. I think we see this so clearly in verse 4. We read the first part just a moment ago that, that God comforts us in all our troubles so that purpose, we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Isn't that amazing? It flows into us and it flows through us to others. Now, how does this work? Now, this is just my, my way of trying to visualize this passage. I hope it's, it's helpful to you. But one way I think this works is through, I'll use this illustration of transfusion. Transfusion. When you become a Christian, you become connected to Jesus. I mean, this is visualized in, in baptism. I'm, I'm with Christ. Christ died. My old sin nature that was tyrannized by sin has died. As Christ has risen, I'm risen with him. And I'm a new person. I'm connected to him. To live is Christ. Right? I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. Now, because you're a Christian... That means that Christ's blood, in a sense, flows through your veins. Christ's blood forgives you of your sin. Christ's life flows through you as well. Christ's mission flows through you. Now, I doubt many of us, maybe none of us, have experienced the kind of persecution uh, that Paul experienced or the kind that we can sadly read about in the newspaper or kidnapped missionaries and those kinds of things placed in persecuted countries around the, the globe. But, but it is true, as Paul says in verse 5, that to follow Christ, to be transfused by Christ, to have the mission and love and presence of Christ in us will mean at times that we will suffer with Christ. We will share in his sufferings. Um, like, for example, I mean, to follow Christ is to put yourself at risk of, of different kind of sufferings than you would experience. Like, for example, uh, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. You ever tried to be a peacemaker before? Two people are fighting, and you step in between them. Have you ever tried that before? Guess what? You get, you get hit from both sides. Double punches. Uh, that, you know, but, but you're following Christ. You're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Have you ever shared generously with somebody, and they took advantage of it? Have you ever um, maybe confessed your sin to someone and they ended up sharing your secret without your permission? To, to follow Christ, to be transfused by Christ, is, is to adopt the mission of Christ, which means we share in his sufferings. But, but verse 5 says that when we share in his sufferings, we also need to know that we share in his comfort. We share in his power. We share in his strength. So transfusion, and then another medical image, and that is transplant. Because you know I am a doctor. I don't know if you know that. My kids say, he's a doctor, but not the good kind. Uh, so, um, but transplant is my second medical image for you. A transplant happens when you know, healthy tissue or organ is taken from one body and it's put into another body. And I believe that analogy applies to soul pain as well. Let's say you're going through some kind of hurt um, that you've never experienced before. You don't know how to handle it. It's brand new. But along comes a friend, and they've been through essentially what you're going through. And that friend is a follower of Jesus, and that friend has experienced the comfort and healing of Jesus, and they're able to call you to their side 
to, to practice paraclesis. They're able to offer you perspective and wisdom and strength that you desperately need. And if you're willing, they can share that comfort with you. They can transplant that comfort with you. Isn't that amazing? Verse 6 says, their past distress, their past pain, ends up bringing you present comfort. Verse 6 says, it helps you to patiently endure the way that they have patiently endured. And friends, I just want to ask a question. What, I mean, what would happen? What is happening? And what could happen to a greater degree if we see ourselves Maybe as we see our church as a whole, as we see our grow groups and ministries, if we see ourselves as a clinic where, where Dr. Jesus works through us, what, what would happen? You know, I think about this a lot. I mean, the Lord, the Lord has poured so much grace into my life. The Lord has been there for me. Oh, my goodness. And the last thing that I want is for all that grace to just sit stagnant in my life. One writer calls this, maybe you've heard this illustration before, one writer calls this the Dead Sea effect. The Dead Sea uh, is the lowest elevation on earth. It's, a, it's a, a thousand, over a thousand feet uh, below sea level. And, uh, and because of that, you know, everything flows in uh, and the salt content is, uh, is 30%. It's, it's nine times saltier than, say, the Atlantic Ocean. And, and it's called the Dead Sea because there, there are no fish in it uh, or, 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 or plants. In fact, uh, I've floated on the Dead Sea before. Uh, you're, you're very buoyant in the Dead Sea. Uh, and I accidentally, they told us not to, but I accidentally got some of that Dead Sea water in my mouth. It was the foulest thing uh, I've ever, ever tasted before. The Dead Sea has all this resource flowing in, but nothing flowing out. And it becomes stagnant. It becomes dead. I don't want that to be an illustration of my life. The Lord has allowed so much of the river of his grace to flow into me. And the question is, what is flowing out? How am I stewarding God's comfort in the midst of my pain. I don't want to be a dead sea, y'all. I want his comfort to flow through me. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, okay, 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 Larry, but, but you don't understand. I, I, I've experienced a lot of painful stuff that is frankly embarrassing. I've had things happen to me that are embarrassing. I did things that I regret. I, I went through all these things. They're so sensitive. Uh, and, and I don't want to talk about them. And there's always places for uh, healthy self-disclosure. There are always places uh, that we have to be cautious about self-disclosure. But I just want to ask the question, right? What if God brought you through those things in part to help you share his comfort with someone else? There's a Christian writer that perhaps you've heard of before. His name was Henry Nouwen, and he made famous a phrase, wounded healer. Have you ever heard that phrase, a wounded healer? He says this. He says, nobody escapes being wounded. We're all, we, we all are wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The question is not how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, he says, we have become wounded healers. 
There's a pastor whose book uh, on pastoring has been so helpful to me. His name is David Hansen, and he talked about when he was ordained to ministry. That's kind of like initiation uh, for a pastor, and there's a council that meets, and they ask you questions to sense your theological and spiritual readiness, and it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty scary. It's like the scariest final exam you've ever been through, uh, and um, I... Uh, I kind of have a question I like to ask candidates, which is uh, I, I, I pull out two names of Old Testament kings, Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin. Compare and contrast. Uh, that's my favorite question to ask. But, but uh, anyway, so, so David Hansen was being ordained, and, uh, and there was this, you know, at the time, rather famous evangelical theologian that was on his ordination council, and he kind of raised his hand to ask a question, and David thought, oh boy, here it comes. And, and, and the, this theologian didn't ask him a theological question. You know the question he asked him? He asked him, have you suffered? Have you suffered? And David Hansen's like, he's trying to think of all the painful things. He's like, well, I broke my arm one time. You know, and he's trying to think through all these things. But then he realized the question wasn't anticipating a response. He said he didn't want an answer. He was making a statement. Pastors must be with suffering people, and they themselves must suffer. He said, pastors need to smell the bad breath of the cancer patient. Now, friends, you could take that same paragraph, and wherever you read pastor, you could substitute the word disciple. Follower of Jesus must be with suffering people, and they themselves must suffer. All of us are called upon to use our pain for others. How would it change your life? How would it change your week? If you just ask yourself the question, I wanna share what God has done in me with someone else. How would it change your priorities if you saw yourself as a worker in his clinic? How would it deepen your hope? I I love that verse seven uh, focuses on this hope and our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. I I can't share the sermon without sharing the story of Bill Wilson. Perhaps many of you are very familiar with it. Bill Wilson was an alcoholic. He'd managed to kind of cobble together six straight months of sobriety. And then a business deal fell through. And it, it was just kind of triggered him, and he was depressed. He ends up wandering through a hotel lobby. He begins to hear those familiar sounds, laughter, the tinkling of ice in glasses. He starts to instinctively walk toward the bar, and then he says to himself, you know what? I think I need a drink, but I don't really need a drink. You know what I need? I need another alcoholic to talk to. And that insight led Bill Wilson and a pastor named Samuel Shoemaker to found what has become an incredible community called Alcoholics Anonymous. It's people who come together and allow a higher power, who we, of course, worship as God, to allow God to be strong in the midst of our pain. Friends, this is us. (laughs) Sinners Anonymous. Only we're not anonymous, right? We are sharing our lives with one another. We're sharing our pain with one another. And we're sharing the paraclesis, the comfort that God has poured into us with one another. 
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the great physician. And whatever woundedness we walked in here with, Lord, we can call upon you and ask you to be strong in the midst of our suffering. We can't, we can't command Z it. We can't control Z it. We can't erase the cause of our suffering. But we can experience your incredible power in the midst of it. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask you to not only work in us in the midst of our pain, but we ask you to open our eyes to the possibility of working through us and being good stewards of the grace that you've poured into our hearts. Would you help us do this, Lord? As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.